Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight-lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts. And this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 10 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and I'm your host, Heidi, also known as So Heidi. Today I'm chatting with Shilpa, founder of activewear brand Nayali, created just for women, bra size, D cup and up. Before launching Nayali, Shilpa spent over a decade working for huge brands like Condé Nast, FUBU, and Gap. She then took all her experience, quit her job, and went to Bali to do her solo label. A year and a half later, after some big mistakes and a lot of tears, she launched her brand. This is her story. The next day, you give yourself a pep talk of like, okay, don't die on the scooter, find the factory, and like get your business done as usual, you know, and that's what every day was like for three months. It was really, really, really tough. Her lessons learned and her advice to others starting a brand. Before we jump into the interview, I want to remind you, you can help the show out and make it easier for others to discover by leaving a rating on iTunes. If you enjoy this episode, I'd really appreciate it if you take 60 seconds to do that. Visit sfdnetwork.com review to leave your rating and thanks for your support and help. To access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com 10. Now onto the interview with Shilpa. Shilpa, so exciting to chat with you today. And you. Oh my gosh. So just to paint the picture, I am sitting in Shilpa's studio and tell me a little bit about what you're doing and all of these beautiful clothes on the rack. Yeah, so basically um, I have been a designer for about 12 years and I've worked in the luxury and active space and um, I'm kind of continuing that Still, I'm launching my own first solo line called Nayali, which is premium activewear for women who are decupping up. So that's the line you see on the rack. Um, there's about 10 main pieces and then a couple accessories and other things that we're offering for the first launch season. Yeah. Okay, so this is your first collection. Yeah. But you have experience in the industry. Yes, I've been, <laughs> been doing this for a really, really long time. Okay. I've worked from everywhere from really small brands where it's like me and two other people yeah. to huge brands like The Gap and then most most recently, I was at 2XU, um, or they pronounce it two times U, but more. It's usually known as 2XU, in, based in Australia, yeah. um, which is partnered with Louis Vuitton. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's funny. I've always known it as two times U. Yeah, two times U. I didn't U. know most people said 2XU. Yeah, yeah. So it is two times U. You're actually one of the few that say it correctly. Yeah, that say it right. Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, okay, so when did you first kind of dive into your own collection? Yeah, um, the concept um, came around 2012. I was uh, traveling in Africa with my family. Uh, my dad's from Mombasa, Kenya, and we we hadn't been back there ever growing up. But we went, my mom's from India, my dad's from Africa. Okay. So we were on a family trip. We went to Africa. My dad had been back in 42 years, and all this really cool stuff started happening. Like. Um, you know, I had heard a lot about Africa, his like childhood and where he grew up. And then my grandfather um, used to be a pattern maker and they had this clothing store in Africa called 
the Mayfair, and it was like apparently this really like bustling men's suit business is how it started, and you know we just were catching up on a lot of different things. So. I'm just really loving the experience of like connecting to like my past and my history and you know this like craft that my grandfather started so many years ago in yeah. Africa and I was like I really want to do my own thing you know and as we're traveling around Africa um, we went to this beach near where my dad grew up it's called Nayali Beach spelled a different way than the way the brand is just one letter off and I was like oh my god this is my baby name like I'm going to use this name for sure as my baby name and I started thinking more about like the concept and I love um, the thing I loved about the beach was there's all these women of all different shapes and sizes and they just really embrace their bodies and um, it was so beautiful and it was such like a wake-up call because you know I worked in fitness and in fashion for a long time and uh, the reality is this is that we in the West have a standard of like what fit an athletic looks like and I just realized in that moment I'm like wow these women take really good care of themselves they're not like working at a classes or gyms but they're <coughs> lifting water carrying children like you know it's very everyday tasks and they're in amazing health they're so happy they're wearing whatever they want to and it doesn't matter that a little bit is jiggling or not jiggling but they're just really strong and powerful beautiful women and i was like i want to feel like that always and i don't feel like that always because you know i'm a customer who doesn't have a very like average body shape um but i'm extremely active i work out all the time i'm like wh why do i feel like i need to look like these other women and that's kind of where it all sort of like started coming to fruition okay so you'd been in the industry for a really long time yeah. and it wasn't until you took this trip that like was that the first time you thought about doing your own thing I've thought about doing my own thing a lot of times. I've actually, I, when I was just out of college, my girlfriend and I decided we we're going to start a clothing line. Yeah. We were like 22. We started this <laughs> really hilarious line called Fashionably Stuffed. And it was maternity wear. And it oh was the God. dumbest, it was the dumbest line we've ever done. But it was such a good learning experience. Yeah. Like we had, we she's a graphic designer. We both went to UCLA together. And, um, you know, I'm like, this is going to be amazing, you know, and we just had no idea what we were doing. This is before I even went to design school for okay, right. clothing. And um, yeah, and we, I'm like, what do two 22-year-old girls who have never been pregnant know about maternity clothes? It was really a bizarre was undertaking. Really hilarious. Yeah, and our, our, our logo was like a pregnant peacock, but I was like, what woman wants to have this like on her body? Nobody, but. Yeah. Did you actually like make and sell any product or we, what happened? We got an entire sample line. It was our first time working overseas. Oh, you went overseas. We didn't go overseas, but we were working with a factory based in India. We were both. Right, you weren't like doing anything in LA. No, we were, yeah, we were doing everything overseas. We were both of Indian descent. So we're like, we can like get a factory in India to make it. It's like no big deal. But we didn't realize they take all their measurements and metric system and we're doing inches. So when we gave them measurements, I was thinking about it in inches and our samples came back like, why is everything so small? Because they were considering it as like 23 centi, centi versus like 23 inches. Oh, so it was quite small. Yeah, it looked like it was like made for a child. Kid. And it was made for pregnant women. <laughs> yeah, yeah so that was my first solo venture. <laughs> okay, wow. 
Um, and then many years passed and you went to fashion school and yeah. you worked in the industry on like yeah. all different scales. Yeah, I worked everywhere from um, con at Condé Nast at, as a fashion, at, like working with fashion editors oh, wow. and in the magazine world and I worked in like really high-end luxury, like contemporary brands that used to like show at New York Fashion Week. I used to work for FUBU. Um, they had a brand called Heatherette like back in the day. So I worked um, there in the top of the Empire State Building, like the height of Heatherette. And um, then I worked um, for my first kind of like luxury active brand in New York called um, Scout Performance. And they had a sister brand called Goeva. So they don't exist anymore, but it was this amazing, um, it was this amazing husband, not husband, oh my God, it would kill me if I said that, brother and sister team. And um, she used to be a buyer at Barney's and Bergdorf's and had like a long history in buying and merchandising on that side and they were both triathletes and so they started this like oh we should do this high-end fitness brand this is before all this existed like before the athletes athlete market shirt, like yeah. blew up and everyone's like what are you doing you're making like a hundred and seventy dollar sweatshirts and i'm like pretty much you know and then we did um like these really cool um bright colored pants and they all kind of had that lifestyle-y feel and lululemon was starting around that time too um obviously one business went in one direction and sure. one went in the other yeah but um it was a really great experience and i learned a lot on that job yeah Okay, so you got the inspiration for Nayali. Did I say it right? Yeah, Nayali. Nayali. Uh -huh. In like 2012, you're on this family trip, yeah. and it was like a really um, sort of a, a personal history type of journey and yeah. seeing where your father was from. Yeah. And so then what did you do? You're like, I had this idea, and, yeah. and what did you do next? Uh, really, at that time, I was still working at The Gap. I was just on a holiday, so it was just like a two-week holiday. And I just started um, actually writing down feelings and like journaling a lot because it was like what I was telling you that idea of wow you know like I don't know if you have the same thing but when you go on vacation you have like a vacation version of yourself like a holiday yeah. version and that person's really free and open and happy and I always think when I travel like how do I bring that person back to like where I live and like have her show up every day right oh yeah and so I started just like journaling about like okay what were those feelings and also like connecting to this other part of my history and also just like um, the example of those women like really stirred something in me and like I want to feel like that all the time where I'm just really kind to myself and really accepting and that it kind of started brewing in the back of my head but I didn't really do much about it more than I love that name of some for something you know like I said I thought it was gonna be a baby name and then as I'm working at The Gap we were working on some products some sports bras and we were doing a, a consumer insight on it and we were interviewing all these women and it was really interesting to hear that the average bra size in America is a 34 double D. And I was like, huh, that's bizarre because I've always been the large, I'm a 32 G. Um, it's probably weird to say your bra size out loud, but I've, you know, come, become very comfortable sure, with like sure. my boobs. And um, I'm a, you know, very active person. I'm probably a size medium body. So like a very average standard American size minus the chest size. And I was always so frustrated that I'm like, nothing ever fits. Like this really sucks. And then hearing that consumer inside of like, oh, there's like a lot of people like me. I'm like that's interesting that there's the average bra size is a 34 double D and 
all this activewear that I've designed for big and small brands is fit on a B or C cup model. Yeah. I was like, huh. So I should start thinking about that. And then um, the other thing that kind of happened was we used to, as a perk like, of the job, you know, all the samples that come in, we wear test everything to sure. make sure it works. So that was like the really fun day in the office and they lay all the samples out and then the people like, they have rules like you just sit <laughs> at the edge of the room and then you like run in and grab what you can. It's like a mad house, I bet. It's, it's like being at a sample sale. Yeah, it's yeah, crazy yeah. Yeah. and everyone's like going nuts. And I was always really, it was great because I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm just going to look through like the mediums and the larges um, because no one's really touching those sizes, you know? And I was like, that's so, cr-. And or, or things wouldn't fit me anyway, so I wouldn't be too worried about it. I'm like, oh, if something fits great, if not, you know, it's not a big deal. So, um, and I started thinking more about that as well. I was like, that's so weird to design for years product that doesn't speak to me and I'm working out every almost five or six days a week I wear two or three bras to work out I like legit hear my boobs slapping together like like they're clapping when I'm like running I'm in a yoga class and my breasts are out the top side or bottom of my sports bra cropper like tank and it just started thinking like why is there not like why don't we do something for me like a customer like me there's clearly a lot of people yeah. in that category how come no one's reaching that and that was just a thought process and and that's how it kind of all started but really at that point um it sounds like you had a you had a, you almost came to a personal frustration that 100%. you're like I am this designer behind the scenes yeah. creating this product that doesn't work for me and a lot of other women out yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. And like, why are we not doing things differently? A hundred percent. So did you try to change things or introduce some new ideas at Gap or were you like, I'm going to take this and this is going to be my idea? I mean, I think I talked about it at the Gap. You know, it's it's interesting because like Gap brands, I was actually specifically at Athleta, which is their activewear brand. Yeah. And they do an amazing job of... You know, like it's you can't be all things for all people, sure. right? And I think that they do an amazing job, um, like reaching the mass. And I think brands like that are really great because they offer really quality product. Um, and they and because of their size, they can do a lot of different things and um, like technologies and research that smaller brands just frankly can't afford. Yeah. You know, so I think we talked about. Just like having like, I think there's a campaign that I tried to start called like dresses for everybody. I was like designing like leisure athleisure dresses at that time too, in addition to some other categories. And yeah. in, so it was in that capacity. But um, yeah, we you know they did some like D cup swim and they did like a few things, but um, it wasn't like every single thing was focused on that. Sure. Like, they might have made a size and a bigger size, but it wasn't a focus. And it, I think D or double D was the largest size they went to at the time. Yeah. Okay, so you saw a problem in the market, a problem mm-hmm. that you were personally experiencing, mm-hmm. and then you also, clearly from this survey, you're like, well, there's a lot of other women out there mm-hmm. that are not this average BC that maybe everybody thinks that mm-hmm. they are. Mm-hmm. And so you started thinking about, like, how can I solve that? So was that kind of the beginning of the brand? Yeah, probably. I mean, I went to, um, I, I kind of got distracted because I moved to another brand, and I moved to Australia, and I did another really big kind of design job. Okay. And so that was maybe put on hold for a while, but it was definitely in the back of my mind and to be honest um the beginning of it wasn't even from active it was from like lifestyle clothing because I would see I would want to wear like low back I would want to wear the sheer tank top like sheer teed trends I want to wear like the low scoop side trends but let's be honest like when you have huge boobs that have like and you're wearing a hook 
a five hook bra. It's not, not gonna work. It's not gonna work. <laughs> and like this whole, I'm gonna just not wear a bra thing is not even an option. <laughs> I mean like legit, if I'm going somewhere in the morning, I'm thinking about my boobs when I wake up, what I'm wearing to work, what I'm wearing to work out in, what I'm wearing at night. Like I think about my breast all day long. Yeah. And I, my best girlfriend, uh, one of my best girlfriends who also happened to be working with me at the time, we'd go shopping and she'd always be like, try this. And I'm like, I'm telling this you right now, gonna like, work. it's not even going to cover my nipple. Like it's not <laughs> even going to work. It's not even a possibility. She's like, no, but seriously try it on. I'm like, okay. And I tried on it every time she's like, oh my God. And she's like hysterically laughing. I'm like, it is hysterical because I think it's funny that you think that's even a possibility. Like the bralette, when that lacy bralette, oh, yeah, the yeah, triangle yeah. bralette. Yeah. I was like, I wish. The it's bra- like two square inches. <laughs> yeah. Like legitimately that doesn't even cover my nipple and the rest of my boob has nowhere to go. You yeah. Know? So yeah. Um, yeah, that's, it started more, uh, I started more concepting lifestyle. Like I want to wear cute tops on dates. I want to wear like dresses with a low back. I want to wear swimwear. That's really cute. Yeah. How can I like design those clothes and either figure out a built-in bra solution yeah. or be able to always wear my own bra? Like, can it be low enough, low in the back, but still high enough where I can wear a bra underneath it? Can it be skimpy enough where, you know, you can still hide like the, you know, you have to have a bra on. That's not even an option. Sure. So that's how it kind of started. Okay. So when did you actually start like concept concepting and like putting things into action? Yeah. So and how did you go about all that? Yeah. I first, um, I was living in Australia still. I had just left my job at 2XU and um, I was still in Australia. And then like literally at the, as I was kind of coming to an end, I'm like, I should action on this idea. You know, I'm like, I've been wanting to do it for so long. I think about it all the time. So my first steps were um, just putting together like the concept and I'm like, okay, it's going to be decupping up only. Like at first I was trying to do a whole bunch of different things. I'm like, no, let's take out the noise and we can't be all things for everybody. And I'm small, a small brand. So I got to focus on what is missing because there's plenty of other options for other people. Right. Yeah. And so I'm like decupping up only. And it started off as like a uh, lifestyle brand and I started concepting like I want like the same thing I was telling you like dresses and tops and like everything everything yeah. like, a whole wardrobe of decup and up friendly clothing yeah and it was like silks and chiffons and leather and you know like all this stuff and um, I started sketching everything out I legitimately um, packed up my whole apartment put it into boxes Oh, maybe Airbnb'd my place. I can't remember now. It's been a while, but I just, yeah, Airbnb'd my place. I went to Bali from there and I came with like 25 or 30 sketches of what I wanted to make. You just had like hand sketches on paper of like all your ideas or... I had hand sketches on paper at that point, but with complete um, specs on them. Tech sketches, okay. But no, no computer specs because, okay. um, I, I, as you know, the computer specs take a really long time. Yeah. So I think like between sketching and going to Bali was maybe and like packing up my stuff and like figuring out like a bunch of stuff, of closing up my job and doing all that stuff. It was maybe like two months. Yeah. And so I had heard a bunch of girls in Australia like, oh, I just got my stuff made in Bali. I'm like, okay, great. Okay, so you just like heard people like saying that this was happening. So yeah. you're like, okay, I'm just going to go. Yeah, which is in retrospect really dumb because <laughs> I've traveled a lot for work. I used to go to Asia every third or fourth week. Oh, wow. A lot. Yeah, and I a spent lot. a lot of time at factories in China. And 
I should have just gone to China directly or like you know my experience had been in Taiwan, China, Sri Lanka, India, Korea, like mostly Asia and you know South Asia, Southeast yeah. Asia. Yeah. Um Malaysia, but I but it seemed way more fun to go to Bali, design this line and yeah. like maybe also become like a yoga certified instructor. There's this like huge romance to it. Totally. I'm like I'm going like to learn romance to surf. fantasy life. 100%. Yeah. Like, okay. I'm going to learn to surf. I'm going to become a yoga instructor. I'm going to develop this line. It's going to be amazing, you know. And um yeah, none of that happened. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what happened? You showed up with like your twenty-five sketches and some specs, and and then and what? Yeah, so I showed up with all of that, and the first maybe week, I kind of was in Ubud, and uh, this is where I had gone before, like on a family holiday, so I knew that place. Yeah, and I just f- finished out like writing the concepts, and I started talking. I was like on conference calls, with Skype calls with people back home, talking like, okay, if I want to do a line, like what should the inventory look like? What are best sellers? I was talking to like old contacts that I have of you know, just like mentors in the industry that I've worked with for a long time. Like, I'm thinking of doing this line. What should that look like? Can you help me build a line plan? And just making sure that the business aspect of that was really sorted out. And you're like use, utilizing your network and your research. Like, I have access to all these people I yes. know. So yeah. like, let me run everything by yes, them. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I had friends kind of telling me, okay, I would, you know, just what, what to look like if you're, if you're buying, let's say, for example, a thousand units, let's just say worst case scenario, 60% sell through is really good. Um, 40% is going to be waste. I'm like, okay, so do, knowing that, how much money do you have to invest in like buying that much inventory? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how many pieces do you want to have? And then at that time I had, I think I told you 32. So I had shoes, bags, like you what? had like a whole, I had a whole store of stuff. And you know, to be fair, I had come from huge brands. So I was used that to was this, typical for it was you. typical. It was yeah. actually small. Right. And I was like, oh, 32 pieces, no problem. I just realized a few weeks in, I'm like, oh, I don't have anyone else besides me to farm that workout to, nor do I have the, that money. You yeah, know? I was going to say, what were you thinking about funding at this point? Yes. Had you even really thought about it? Uh, yes and no. So in Australia, they have this thing called superannuation. So the way we have in um, the U.S. a 401k. Okay. What they do is they, put, on top of your salary, they give you like, I think, 9.25% okay. of your salary. And so I had been saving, like hardcore saving in Australia and because I was also traveling a lot for work I was like saving as much as possible you know like while I was traveling and so all that savings was going to be like kind of my seed money for this yeah and the other money was like just from like the gap and uh, bonus checks I would never spend them I would just keep saving saving so you just like been really smart with your own finances and kind of kept this little nest egg building yeah I tried to live I mean I my expenses were um, you know San Francisco is an expensive city Melbourne's really expensive as well so like my living expenses stuff are always kind of the same but I tried not to you know even though I could probably afford it like a nicer place or a big like a house or whatever I just kept it really minimal and you know and just you know do fun stuff sure but my fun stuff was like travel and food I wouldn't like shop a ton or buy a bunch of stuff I could just like keep saving all that yeah and yeah that was the seed money so I went over and that's how it all started got my kind of background together because I hadn't done any of that like the business analytics side of it made up more of a plan and so I spent a couple of weeks doing that, like maybe three weeks when I was in Bali. And in addition to that, I would I was trying to look for these manufacturers because I had heard there's manufacturers in Bali. But you like blindly showed up. I blindly showed up. Wow. Yeah. And <laughs> I had it was really <laughs> stupid, actually. But wait, and it's so interesting to me too because you said that like you, you 
you you have all these sketches yeah. and and you've done like this creative design process yeah and you show up and then after the fact you do the business and logistics research yeah wow that's so I mean, did you, like, feel like that? Did it feel a little bit backwards to you? It did. Or, like, scary that you're, like, showing up blindly and, like, you haven't really gone through the numbers or, the like, the resources to actually get the product made? Um, kind, yes and no. Because I've been in the industry for so okay. long, yeah. I knew from a market trend and assortment point of view what's going to be successful, right? Because sure. I do that for other, I've done that for so many other brands. So in terms of what I was designing, I was, there was no question as to are these things going to work? Is this the right assortment? Whatever. I think the unrealistic part was probably the size of how many things I had. Okay, right. And then also, I couldn't really do the planning because I had no idea how much anything would, was going to cost, like the cost of goods. And like the min, the MOQs, the minimum order well, quantities that, and stuff like that. That's the main reason why I went to Bali over okay. going to China where I had contacts because the mins in China were massive. And especially for me, all the factories I've worked with, I'm, you know, I have been coming to these factories with like the gap or two times you as my as, as like a representative these huge of that brands. huge brands so now i'm like oh so i want to make um 30 of these or 100 of these and they're like who are you yeah, like, like is that your sample run w yeah i mean not to i don't want to like curse but like yeah is that sa- exactly yeah these are your salesman samples yeah exactly <laughs> and that's what we would do for salesman totally. samples so yeah. they were just so it was really hard to go to asia for that reason and plus i didn't have that added like surf yoga instructor like lifestyle thing that was going to happen too in my mind so did you find what you needed in bali (laughs) so it was much i reached out to any contacts who had manufactured in bali i started emailing them i got a few names a few factories and it wasn't working and then my girlfriend came to visit the same friend where we we shopped together and she laughs at like how legit legitimately large my breasts are <laughs> so we were having a mini holiday kind of she was having a mini holiday kind of thing and I'm like I made her come with me we went to all the nicest stores like the boutiques in Bali all around me got a driver and um went around and basically I would go in and like try to talk to all the local saleswomen and start asking them if they know any factories that do this and I brought my sketches ah. and like I showed them like little swatches like where can I go to have this yeah. ha- to make this happen and then um, they're from one to the other to the other. Like, no one wants to talk to you because they could get fired. Oh, sorry. No one wants to talk to you because they can get fired. So they were, like, a little skeptical. I'm like, hey, if you Like, it's the trade secrets. Like, don't yeah, give I mean, away our well, sources. They're, they're or? At, you know, they're working at... Um, there's a lot of really cool designers who have stores in, in Bali. Okay. And um, they make all their stuff locally. Yeah. So, you know, they have kind of probably have the corner on the best artisans and craftsmen that are there. And, you know, I could imagine why, like, if I was living and running a business there, I would also not yeah. want to share those resources. Sure. Um, so, so kind of broke through. And then I met a few people who were like, I know somebody who knows somebody. So this one woman um, came and picked me up with her son and her husband, who was a driver. Okay. And I said... Um, okay, great. I'll pay. How about I hire your husband as the driver and then you guys can show me around. So she got a few like pretty frankly, pretty shitty factories, you know, okay. but we went through Denpasar, which is the main city center. So imagine like a really disorganized city center, like downtown area. And there's no, there's a major streets that are massive where they have like 
you know, rickshaws and scooters and cars and people walking and animals and like all kinds of stuff happening. And then off those are these like little alleyways that are dirt with no signage, no nothing. Like you would never get there on your own. You would never, ever, ever (laughs) get there on your own. So I would just go to these factories with them and start pinning the locations and WhatsApping myself the location of where the factory was. Because I was like, I'm never going to be able to find this otherwise again. When was this? This was in January. What are we in? 2017. This was January 2016. Oh, so just a year and a half ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this all started a year and a half ago. Okay. So that's how it started. And then I would, then from there, I met like this other woman who um, has been working there for a long time and she's um, helped a lot of brands. And she was, you know, it kind of was like a via, 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 like meeting other people. And then she took me around for a day and she showed me where like the bead store was and the fabric store was and like um, where a lot of people, a lot of designers come and get their stuff. So I start now getting on the right track of at least what are the resources that are here yeah and then I'm realizing quite quickly is that um that everything in Bali is imported they don't make anything there so all the beads all the trims all the fabric come from from China or like India. they're doing the cut and sew but they're yes. not actually manufacturing any of the yes, fabrics. raw materials all the raw materials are come from other places the most quote unquote local fabric they have comes from Java, you know, from from Indonesia, but it's still coming on a boat or a plane. So on the island it's, itself, everything is imported. They do the cut and sew and they have low minimums, but cost of goods are actually pretty expensive in excuse me, in comparison, because everything is imported. Mm. And your and your options are very limited, right? Whatever's there is there. That's what you get. So they're really good at making like cute triangle bikinis, any kind of handwork stuff like crochet or beading or that kind of stuff. They have a beaut- they have artisans that live there and they're really crafty and it's like, you know, this art form that's beautiful. But so I was trying to like now mold my collection into utilizing those skills. Like I was and like, you're like and I'm like, this is this is not right. Yeah, and I, I did I developed like a beaded hand beaded like sundress but I'm like but this is so expensive it's not really right the fabrics are not right and at the end of the day I need support and that support in my mind comes from heavyweight lycra and span and I'm like I just need to work with the materials that I know and then the silks and the leathers and the really fine knits fine gauge knits Um, I hadn't worked with that stuff in over 10 or 12 years. I've been active for so long. So I'm kind of like running an uphill battle. Like I'm working with things that I don't know as well in a place I don't know as well. And, and also like paying to be there, also like paying a driver every day to go around. I mean, it's che- it's cheap in the sense of it was like, you know, $20 a day or something like that. But $20 a day adds, adds up, up really fast, really fast. Yeah. Plus your $30 a night accommodation, that's $50 a day. That adds up plus, you know, food and stuff is pretty inexpensive. But yeah. so I realized that I have to cut my cost immediately so I rented I'm like and I need more time so I rented I moved out of Ubud it was too far to the city I rented a room in someone's house um because I'm like I'm gonna stay for the month and um in the middle of all this I had a few kind of scary incidences um where I got accosted on my like scooter and oh, I got accosted like just out because a woman traveling by myself yeah. and um which is unfortunate which just really scared me so I'm like I need to stay with other people I can't stay by myself you know 
And I learned how to ride a scooter so I can hopefully take myself around versus hiring a driver. Yeah. So I went on a date with this guy. He taught me like in an, in an hour how to like operate the scooter. <laughs> and I practiced on my own for a few days. And then like the next day, I'm like, okay, I'm riding the scooter. Yeah. So I put in my Google Maps with like the pins I had dropped before. And I went back to all those factories on my scooter into the city in like heavy traffic, screaming in my helmet, like, please don't die. And like showed up to the factories again, trying to get more information. That's how it all started. Okay, so so then what happened? Did you wind up doing anything in Bali? Yes, so I developed an entire line. I went through first, second, third protos, went to the factories every single day, followed them every single day. Okay. Went, worked backwards and created the tech packs and the technical flats and CAD. So while I was waiting for them to provide my samples, I was putting everything in. everything, everything right. out. Yeah. And then I, that way I figured I can just, um, and then I'm, I would go with, I said, I, I want to work with you guys. Like, don't you don't need to deliver. It is a cultural understanding too, right? I had worked in in Asia, uh, but in other parts of Asia, which is not Bali, the way they work is really different. And they, you know, in China, you're pushing a lot, you know, and when you push in Bali, it's actually really insulting, but I didn't realize that. You We're know? used to like, I mean, I've, yeah. I've not manufactured in Bali. I've manufactured yeah. a lot in Asia and push, China. Like push, 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 push. Where's push. my sample? Where's yeah. my product? Where is this? Where is this? Yeah. And I, I, I mean, I don't know. I started to feel like that annoying yeah, person. client and I'm like, and I also think that, um, the way you communicate a lot of times in China is really direct because flowery words is confusing when English is your second language. And you know, that's not the vibe in Bali. It is very flowery. It is very polite. And when I'm like, I, and I would come to the factory every day and I'd be like, okay, I need you to do this. Well, we don't, you can't do that. I'm like, yes, you can. And this is how, and I would literally walk out and I, you know, there's like a, I know there's a protocol of like dealing with the person who's assigned to you. Luckily the factory that I finally ended up with, um, the person who was like handling my account, she was lovely and she was amazing. And I'm like, listen, I'm not trying to be rude, but I just, in the interest of time, I have one month to be here. I need to get all these samples done before I go. And and this whole story is happening over one month. Oh yeah. Oh wow, it's really fast. It's really fast. Oh wow. And so I'm going pushing, 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 pushing. There's no surfing. There's no you know. I you go don't to, get that like vacation no, that you had pictured in your head. No, I wake up in the morning. I usually worked out, and then I would eat something, and then go work. You work all day. Okay. And um. Yeah, and so that's kind of how it happened. And then I realized the one month is not going to be enough because no matter how much you push, it's really beautiful. Indonesians, especially in Bali, are not motivated by money. They're motivated. They're just like do their thing, right? So in a way, it's amazing in terms of a lifestyle. Like if you're pushing and being like, this is what the order is going to be, da, 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 they don't really care. Like they just they're going to do it at their own pace. So nothing was ready after the month. <laughs> so then I extended another month and then another month. So I was t- there in a total total of from basically January until the end of March, a three months total. And still same thing, pushing every single day, finding other sources, showing up every second or third day. Where's my stuff? How does it look? What's the status? What's the status? Where are we with that? Yeah. We would take, I'd take it out to the floor if, if it's not correct. And they're also developing stuff that they've never seen before. One, they're developing decup and up, swim and active. They've never seen boobs 
and shapes that big. So their pattern makers are really confused. Like it doesn't look in proportion because they think if it's bigger bust, it's bigger on the whole body mm -hmm. and the patterns got messed up. So I'm like, no, you have to keep the patterns to this proportion, but make the cup sizes as big. So that's confusing. Right. The second thing was the stitching and technology. Like I've worked at factories that have every machine known to man. They've got a single stitch, maybe a zigzag stitch, maybe a marrow. You know, like the machinery the is very limited. Yeah. So there's no bonded seaming. There's no like all even the stuff that I needed, like boning, uh, wire cups, like you know the wires for the bra cups that are bigger than a D size. That doesn't ha come from Bali. That has to be ordered from China. Um, I also in the middle of that realized that so all the trims, whatever's there you have options for, but I need really thick, wide trims to support a one inch, three quarter inch, or five eighths inch wide strap. They're making straps for a triangle top for a woman who's A cup, who doesn't, the straps are decorative. You right. know, they don't actually support anything. Right. I'm like, no, it has to be like elastic that can hold like four pounds. <clears throat> so in the middle of all that, I think I had a, my visa was expiring, so I went to Singapore um, to do a visa run and um, also to buy trims and some fabrics and materials. And oh, and while that, before that happened, I um, got really sick, I, I passed out, and so I had to be, go to the hospital, but I flew, took the flight anyway to Singapore, went to the hospital there, and then I bought these trims and came back. So this was like all of the span of three months. It was a very intense three yeah. months, yeah. How did you, like, were you like, oh my gosh, am I doing the right thing? I cried a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I cried a lot. It's 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 not easy and I don't I mean I'm not trying to scare anyone but it's yeah. not easy especially when you're on your own especially when you're navigating new business, new concept, new country, languages, business and also just taking good care of yourself, right? Like yeah. it's a lot of stuff. I I had this really amazing network of friends who I called and luckily the time difference worked out where I'd, I'd, at the end of the day I'd call them at home and, and I just like literally download and uh. just be crying and the next day you give yourself a pep, pep talk of like okay don't die on the scooter find the factory and like get your business done as usual you know and that's what every day was like for three months it was really 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 tough and um and then at the end I got a lot of samples but the bulk of my 32 pieces that we developed third protos were done the only thing that had to happen was the woman who was like kind of like my right hand she just had to finish sewing them pack them and then she was going to ship them to me because I couldn't carry everything in my my one suitcase I had and I'd already organized everything and I had you know arranged for all the money to pay her and she and then when she came the night before I was leaving <clears throat> she didn't have anything ready and I was like, where, what, and the things that weren't ready were really bad, you know? I'm like, what's happening here? Like, what's, you, and I kind of like really pushed her, like, you need to fix this. Okay, it's no problem. Your money's all ready. Here it is. The woman I was staying with, she's, uh, she's Aussie, but she like lives in Bali full time. So I'm like, here's all the money. I'm giving it to her. So when the samples are ready, she'll just check them and then she'll give you the money and then you just have to DHL it. And I gave her the account information. And you were like getting on a flight to go to Australia. Back to Australia. Because my ex visa in Australia was expiring. It had been three months. So after you, after I stopped working, I had three months to leave the country. Okay. And so my work visa was expiring. So I had to actually pack up my stuff and move home so um my visa expired the, the day i left bali <laughs> so i got a temporary 
a visitor visa, came back to Australia for a week, just like packed up my stuff, sent it home, said my goodbyes to friends, and yeah, then came back to the US. Okay, so you got your samples, and then like what happened between then and now? Like now we're looking at maybe- Sorry, it's a really long-winded story. No, 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 it's okay. It's super interesting. Like you went on this like insane three-month adventure to like get your business off the ground, and like every day you're like, I got this. Okay, I'm crying. I got yeah. this. Okay, I'm crying. Yeah. It's like this roller coaster. Yeah. And so then, like, now you have this beautiful sample line, um, or not even sample line, um, collection you're yeah. launching. Like, it's happening. Yeah, it's happening. So. What happened between Yeah, them? like, what what are the logistics of, like, to get from there to, to, here. to here, where you're, like, starting to sell? Yeah, so um, I'll try to keep it a bit shorter, but basically what happened was, once I came back from Bali, I realized that I had this incomplete collection. So, because I had some of the leather pieces, I had some swim pieces, but all the other 32, like out of the 32, I maybe had 10 of the pieces or okay. 12 of them. Yeah. But the other 20 that made that collection make sense because of this like swim lifestyle, da da da, never arrived. So, all that three months of work was a little lost, and I was a little lost, and I'm like, I don't know what to do. So I kept trying to push and get that stuff sent over. Wasn't happening, wasn't happening, wasn't happening. And I'm like, do I start this whole thing over in China where I know? And then I just took some time to think about it and to like hone in my story. And I just, you know, like really think about what's happening. Like I have swim and I have leather. Those things don't go together at yeah, all. It's kind really. of an interesting mix. It's really random, you yeah. know? And so I'm like, okay, I need to go to what's my story? It's decupping up. What does the leather say? Really? Nothing. So the leather accessories were beautiful, but besides the jacket, they don't say anything. Like the jacket was designed with a knit pen on the back. So you could easily zip up over your chest size and the shaping and stuff was to flatter that body type, but everything else, nothing made sense. So I took a step back. I met with a lot of people. I had a lot of conversations. I talked to a former um, mentor that is at Manduka, and she's like, you know, your message is decupping up. Like, why don't you just focus on just that? Like, what if you just did sports bras? I'm like, no, I don't want to do that. And I also was like trying to do something new and exciting, and I it, that felt exciting. So then I'm like, you know, she's right. I need to capture my customer who, are, you know, the person who's like me, who's looking specifically for a solution. A, for their boobs. And if they are decupping up, they definitely think about their breast all day long. So the solution has to be, how do I solve for that? And it's okay if it's not lifestyle right now, even though that's where I wanted to go to, stick to what you know and stop swimming an uphill battle on all fronts of this business. Change the line out, went to, to started going down the path of athleisure again and redesigned. And with this very specific focus of like, I'm going to solve the breast problem. Yeah. Like and all the other stuff was also technically solving the breast problem. But out of the 32 assortment, I would say half of it was decupping up and the rest of it was like the peripheral things to the make extras, that look, yeah. to make that look, look good. 
I'm like, I'm not having a store. I'm doing only e-commerce. I'm not doing wholesale because I don't have time to, I don't have the energy to go out and sell to people for this first season. I need to talk directly to my consumer and that has to be very clear messaging. So that's where that, that kind of like come to Jesus moment happened. Yeah. Like, you know, like let's cut out the noise and get really specific as to what needs to happen here. Yeah. So I resketched. I spent a couple, some time doing that. And it was really hard to let go. Of all that work. Of all that work, time and money and the amount of stress and like, and like literally blood, sweat and tears that went into it. It was really hard to let go. But I think at some point you have to cut your losses and just think from a fresh mind, you know? And do you think there's something to be said for like, um, there's this great quote and I probably overuse it, (laughs) but it's, um, actually it doesn't really relate to what you're saying. It's, if you're not embarrassed of the first version of your project, then you launch too late. So I don't want, that's actually doesn't relate to what you're saying, but it's more like sometimes you have to do it wrong the first couple times yeah. to get it right. Like you said, when you first got out of college, you and your friend launched this <laughs> maternity brand. Yeah. And like, believe me, I've had a lot of really random entrepreneurial yeah. ventures and like random startup things and stuff I've tried yeah. to sell over the years. And it's like, if you didn't do all those things that's what kind of builds up and you learn your lessons yeah. each time and you do it a little bit better each time and that's what builds up into this final thing that you're like, you keep getting better every time. Yeah. So if you don't have all those along the way, like how you can't expect to do it perfect the first time. I think what bothered me the most is that, you know, during the maternity stuff, it felt like I didn't know anything so I could accept the defeat because okay. you know, like I was just out of college. I think what bothered me is that I've successfully built brands for huge brands, like multi-million dollar businesses, and from a design and managing a lot of the production, a lot of the back end, a lot of the business of that. You know, so it's not that I think it's like, why did I not know better? Like, like where did I go wrong? I've done this for other people a hundred times yeah. over ten years or however long. Yeah. Yeah, and I think when it's, and that's what was really hard to let go of, is like the ego of, yeah. of like, I know better, and I got distracted because I, I, I was dreaming huge and wasn't taking into account what the actual resources, both time and money were, and that's the other thing, right? It's like, when you have a big vision, that's awesome, so you have either need one of two things. You need people to help you execute that vision, or you need money in order to hire people to execute that vision, <laughs> right? So I was by myself. I didn't have a business partner. And things that, you know, the, the production stuff was fine, but there's also all these other things that no one talks about, which is like setting up DHL, business bank accounts, getting a, you know, like a business uh, tax ID number, registering, incorporating, all the paperwork that goes oh, on with that. all the paperwork and accounting and all that yeah. slew of stuff is a mess. It's a mess. And for someone who hates Excel and doesn't use it every day, it might take somebody who's versed in that 5, 10, 15 minutes. It took me hours. Yeah. And, you know, it just took so long and you only there's only one of you so you know you have to let go somewhere and it's hard to let go on the design because that's your baby so then you like you leave a lot of things like left undone but that's that's what makes your business successful like if you're spending all your money on stupid stuff like shipping and packaging and those kinds of things you have to save 
everywhere, you know, like you have to negotiate and save every single penny. I was living at home um, when I came back from Australia on that trip to my parents. Luckily, they're like outside of LA. They're just like 45 minutes out. And I would, it was really, it was really hard. I mean, I had been a design director at a huge brand, like traveling internationally every third week, you know, like, you know, in business lounges and right this like huge amazing job and then you're yeah. like going living at home with your parents yeah and who are amazing and really helpful yeah. but it just it was really it's a it's a hard emotional battle when you don't know what you're doing and you also um, are at home and you feel like this I should at this stage of my life I should have more stuff figured out you know and and it's not not any pressure from them it's self pressure of like you know I can't believe I'm back here I left when I went to college I was 18 and they're always like they love having me home they would like <laughs> love if I lived at home but it was like well how did I end up back here you know and it was like a really big blow to the ego so then I spent those months from April um you know for the next few months like living at home taking meetings going to like all this random stuff like trying to just like get my head back around what I'm doing and my parents said, well, why, since you're not working right now, which was really hard, because I'm like, I am working, I'm just not getting <laughs> paid. paid. Yeah. Um, we're going to India in December, why don't you come? And I said, okay, sure, like, I hadn't been in a long time. We used to go every year growing up. I'm like, I hadn't been in nine years. I'm like, why don't I go? I'm like, you know what? Why and don't... your mom's from India, sorry to interrupt. Yes, okay. yes, my yeah. mom is from India, so um, they live there part of the year. Okay. So they like live there, three, they're both retired, and my mom used to be a dentist, so she volunteers at like the local hospital there and stuff, and so they live there a few months out of the year. I'm like, okay, that sounds good. I'm like, maybe I can also, while I'm doing that, like think about manufacturing in India, where I speak the language, <clears throat> and I have family on the ground, like, you know, like, send a family who can follow up on a lot of, th that's the thing with Bali, right, is that once I left, out of sight, out of it. mind, like, there's no way to recover any of the work I did, right. and the woman that I was staying with, though lovely and amazing and tried to help out as much as possible, she's got her own shit going sure. on, you know, like, she has to deal with her own business and her own, like, she can't follow up every day for me, like, the way I was, so, um, yeah, so I said, okay, and then I said, well, let's go to China, too. My mom's like, what? I want to go to China with you because you've been so many times. I've never been. Can we do that? I'm like, let's go on a tour. I'm like, okay, how about we go on a tour? We'll, like, go around, and I'll show you China. Uh, you know, I've never done any of the touristy things anyway in the hundreds of times I've been there. And then I'll stay. I'll meet with my factories, and um, then I'll, we'll, I'll meet you in India. We'll meet with some factories there, and then we'll come back. So it's going to be, like, this big trip. <clears throat> so I had a um, goal of we're leaving in October to go. So I'm like, I need to get stuff to factories before then yeah. and start this whole process over. So you like, at this point, you're, you're pretty much starting from scratch? Yeah, I had, um, let's see, one, two, three pieces, four pieces that I had and then I'm now but I don't have any patterns or anything you just had like some samples that you're like okay this is this is pretty close yeah and then oh that's right I did I from one of the factories in Bali I got them to sell me the patterns okay I said I'm coming back with my manufacturing but then they, they're like well we don't believe you then they charge me the patterns which was fine but it saved me a lot of time sure and I took the patterns sent them to China to the fact I said I got a bunch of costing from Chinese factories sent them I decided on one <clears throat> and started the process with them and we started sending samples back and forth I'm fitting everything you know it's coming back to the U.S. we're moving pretty quickly here 
um, ordering the fabric. So I couldn't even lab dip or um, develop any custom colors. I just okay. chose a fabric. Available. Available colors yeah. from, um, you know, available colors, stock colors. And are these factories you had worked with before? Yes. And they were with, like, what type of quantities are you looking at now? So, this is my biggest question. Because I'm yes. like, you're manufacturing with, like, Gap. Yeah. And now you're like. Yeah, I need to make, like, 30. Um, yeah. I, <laughs> I said to them, I said, look, I've been working with them for years. I said, look, I'm doing my first solo season. This is what it's about. I put together a little bio and brief on what the market looks like and said to them, this is a $3 billion industry. Ah, so you like presented, <coughs> you strategically went to them almost like showing them your business plan. Yeah. Okay, to get their buy-in and be like, oh, and you know, we have this great relationship, yeah. we really like you, and yeah. there's validity behind your idea. Yeah. Okay, so that was smart. Yeah, and so then I just said, here's um, what the industry looks like, and this is where I think we go. There's no one in the market already doing this. Let's go down this path. And then I got a few factories to agree, and then we kind of went through this war of like, the most I can, because they were saying that, oh, we have a minimum issue. I'm like, well, you actually don't because all the fabric, there's no dyeing and there's no fabric minimums. I've already done all my research. I negotiated my own fabric prices because mm -hmm. I worked with mills before. So they, I think that's what was really helpful because I've worked in China so much and because I've done all that factory back end for so many years, at every turn when you try to, when you try to get, they try to screw you. I can say, actually, no, we can do it like this. So my experience for all those years really came in handy. And I think the other thing that came in handy was, you know, a lot of people show up saying, like, I'm a designer and I want to make this line. And they have no idea what they're doing. And I went in there, same thing, every single day. Let me troubleshoot that for you. I think we could do the pattern like this. Yeah, I had all these solutions for them. So they, they knew that... Um, I was, I knew what I was talking about. And I think because of that, they respected me and I was willing to always do the work. I would work all day and then get on China time and get on the phone with them around 10 p.m. and be on FaceTime with them until 2 a.m. and have, like, they, I would literally be looking at their pattern room, like, okay, try, I'd have my mannequin, try it like this, do that. I cut out a paper doll, try it like that. And that's how we'd save weeks and weeks of work. From like shipping it back and forth and like waiting yeah. and yeah. yeah. So it you know it it's like again not easy you know there's a there's some times in there where you know like you don't leave the house for a few days because you're just on every night and every yeah. day and um, my mom asked me a bunch of times during that time because I was obviously living at home and it was helpful because they were like making meals and like doing all the <laughs> stuff that I you know takes time yeah like life stuff life stuff and they were just taking care of it which was awesome and um, she's like. Wouldn't it have just been easier to be a dentist like I had told you? <laughs> I was like, yeah, probably. Like, dentistry is looking really good right oh now. Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> so that's how we I got China on board. And then I had planned the factory visit. I got there. We had agreed on the quantities. I had said, by, you know, I, had, I think my quantities at that point were 200 per style. Split to multiple colorways? Multiple colorways. Okay. Because I removed the fabric min issue. Right. Um, I just paid the mill, the surcharge for any fabrics they had. To, there's a few colors they didn't have in stock. So either there was a waiting time or a min issue. So I just paid for like the extra sample sure. yardage cost, absorbed that. And then that was how we kind of worked from there. Okay. Sorry, that was a lot of information. No, no, no. It's really interesting. Um, so now, so you got through your production, you negotiated the stuff with, mm -hmm. with China. Obviously, your whole industry experience played a mm -hmm. huge role mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. um, 
And so now you have your collection. Are you, is it just have samples now? Or are you going, you At have At this point, I production? just had seen a few samples, first protos, and I was going to China to see the second protos. Okay. So this was now already October. Okay. So the idea was we'll see the second protos while I'm in China, correct them at the factory and On then the see the third protos while I'm still there. I'll yep. just stay there. I didn't have a I didn't have a ticket from China to India yet. I had only had a ticket uh, I had a return ticket from India and I had a ticket to China, but I didn't have that connection. So I was in like I'll middle. just stay in China as long as I need to for a week or two. That turned into <laughs> that turned into about two and a half two months um, because my factory dropped me after making my third protos. Under what premise? Uh, that we will only make this if you double your quantities. Um, they had gotten a very large order and they just, it was before Chinese New Year and yeah. they didn't want to make it. Did and, you have anything in writing or like? Um, my original agreement, like the PO, but, but what if, it doesn't, doesn't matter. mean anything. It doesn't and mean anything. They're like, either you can pay surcharges. So I said, okay, I can pay surcharges like one and a half times of what our agreed cost was, they wanted me to pay sample. for samples, just no, for production. For production. You were going to pay one and a half times. <clears throat> I was. I at that point, I had invested too much time to let it go. To let it go, and I had negotiated the prices pretty well. So I was like, okay, even with that, I worked out my margins. I was like, it's still okay. And so then they're like, okay, you have to pay your your surcharges one and a half times, but you also have to order double the quantity. I'm like, I, I can't do that. That was the part that killed me. I'm like, I can't order that quantity. Like, it, I don't want all that inventory because yeah, if it does, it's so much liability. It's so much money and liability. Oh, it like breaks your heart because I've gotten emails from people before who are like, ah, I ran into this situation. My factory's not delivering. They said they were going to deliver on this date and I'm being pushed yeah. to the bottom of the barrel and put yeah. on the back burner. And like at the end of the day, there's not much you can do. There's not. And that's the that's the interesting thing, right, about these relationships. And it's different based on different countries. But at the end of the day, people want to see that the relationship, it's it's financial mostly. Like I think I only even got in those factories because of the personal relationships. Okay. But the, the, at the end of the day, it comes down to money. And so my options were um, wait until after Chinese New Year, um, you know, and, and I was really pushing hard for pre-Chinese New Year. So then at that point, I left mainland China, went to Hong Kong. I was staying with a friend because Hong Kong was really expensive. I was at the hotel for like a few days with my parents and then I they left to go to India and I was like staying with my friend. She like really saved me because it was it would have been thousands of dollars to like rent a place in Hong Kong. And I would, uh, she hooked me up with a factory that she was using for a small production run of something that she was doing for her brand. And they said that they do some minimum orders. So I started working with them. But I was really afraid of putting all my production now with one factory. Yeah. And so I split it up. Um, I had a, a, I have an advisor, a friend who works at a brand in Australia, who and he's been doing this on the production side. So I called him. Actually, he's not even a really good friend at that point. I met him when I left um, in those 10 days between Bali and Australia, between Bali and the U.S. and Australia. I met him then. We had been doing business over email for years, but I never actually met him. He ended up becoming invaluable because he's like, call my factory in Indonesia. In Indonesia. They can hook you up. They do swim. They do large cup swim. 
So basically, long story short, the next like month was bouncing between all these different factories, doing now um, in Hong Kong dealing with this new China factory, going across the border every third day, like taking the metro to the train, to the bus, getting to that factory three hours each way, and then the other half of my productions in Indonesia, and I realized that it's again too messy to manage two different countries. I move and everything back to all one factory and just hope for the best, you know. And um, they said they're going to deliver before pre-Chinese New Year. They did not. Even after Chinese New Year, they did not. All my production is actually now coming now. Which so it was supposed to be delivered in Feb. It's now going to be basically end of May. But what I like. So it's on the boat right now. It's it just I'm paying the in I just pay the invoice. It's like coming in 10 days on literally right, right now like as literally we're sitting here, as we're sitting here yeah <laughs> like I literally like paid that my life savings and it's coming now but I stuck with that factory for a multitude of reasons one um just really good factory environment the way they treated the organized the way they treated their employees um the way they were working with me really rational and really reasonable good people like good work ethic you know the deliveries aren't on time, and I think there's a few things were my mistakes, and you know, and a lot of things were their mistakes. But it is what it is at this point, and because I, you know, have the flexibility to be a little bit more flexible because it's direct to consumer. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to get my product here, and um, there has to be a start somewhere, and yeah. that's where we are at now. Yeah. Yeah. So. Okay, well, cheers to, like, getting your product on the boat. It's, like, literally in transit. (laughs) It's going to be here. Um, There was a lot of hurdles to get there, but you, like, really trudged forward through the whole thing. So, okay, I want to ask a couple questions. Um, One, like, if you could have done it over again, what do you think you would have done differently? Like, what do you feel like were some of the biggest mistakes that you made, and what would you have done differently like kind of thinking of like yeah. advice to other people who are trying to go into this yeah if I was giving advice to other people is use your resources okay don't if you're starting something new you there's already so many hurdles so even though it's not the most exciting path sometimes like I would have definitely not gone to Bali I would not have tried to combine like surf yoga production i've never developed in bali that was a big mistake on my part looking back use your resources do your research in terms of i should have known better that all these materials are made in taiwan and china so um make the make it the path of least resistance and don't that's, try to swim uphill <laughs> don't try to swim uphill and that's true from a design point of view from a manufacturing point of view from a production point of view and from a business point of view it's much easier to do what you know and you can always explore once you've got your foundation unless you have financial resources i think that's different i think if i had a little bit more financial freedom I could have definitely done the first concepts if I had if I had gone the other path and like built a really strong business plan and got investor and seed money and I could have done that whole lifestyle thing like I just didn't plan that out properly so it could have been one of two ways I should have just started either with the active wear and stayed really focused true to brand message or done that build out first and gotten the money and gotten some help okay but you've self-funded the whole thing I've self-funded the whole thing okay yeah um and so you were lucky enough to have like all this background and all this experience yeah. and 
you know, there's a lot of people out there trying to go at this from zero. Yeah. And so, you know, what would be your advice to like getting started? I mean, working in the industry for so long and having all these yeah. contacts and resources, even though you didn't use them at first, yes. which is so interesting to me. <laughs> I know. This whole Slam thing, hill. right? Like, you're like, I know how to manufacture in China, like yeah. the back of my hand. Yeah. I can do it in like five seconds. Totally. Even though once you wound up there, it wasn't that easy yeah. at the end of the day because of your, your minimums. But you still <laughs> like went this whole backwards route. But, you know, if you don't have this... Um, slew of resources at your fingertips like what do you what 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 would you say to people to do to get started yeah i think it's a couple different ways depending on what your product is i think that um either you partner with someone who does have that experience um for at least that little portion of it because it'll save you a lot of time and aggravation Or you can, if you're U.S.-based, like another thing I could have possibly done was come to the U.S. directly and found a pattern maker and, you know, sample maker and made physical samples and patterns here and then started trying to find manufacturers with already a product in hand because I think with the language barrier, time and money and distance, even though we have all these technologies, it's much easier for people to make stuff if they can see it and then they just have to copy it and make it versus like they have to create it from scratch. I think a lot of my time and sampling and why some of the factories were frustrated was is that they weren't. They want to like basically do one or two samples and move on because it's obviously a drain on their resources. Yeah, they don't want to spend well. a bunch of time like going through like three, four, five prototypes exactly. to like get it right. But you're like, it has to be right. And I'm like, it has to be right, especially for this product because it at the end of the day, even though it's clothing, it's like an iPhone. It's a technical product. You yeah. know, like there's technology that goes into every piece. The way it fit and functions is first and foremost, and then like it has to obviously look good, but it has to fit and function. Yeah, because you're solving this like solving need. this need. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it can't just be another cute sports bra because there's a million of those. You know, I'm yeah. selling it as I'm solving this decupping up, you know, issue for women who want to swim and work out and live their lives. So it has to solve that first. So if it's not going to hold your weight and breast capacity, then what's it's the pointless. point? Yeah. yeah. So I would just say that if it's something that's not so niche, if you can proto it locally where you're in front of somebody and then get it developed, that would probably save you a lot of aggravation. And um, yeah, and then just network like crazy. I mean, I must say that people who I would have never imagined helping me have been so valuable. Like amazing like I told you the guy who I met for coffee one day when I was in Australia for like two is it the day before I flew back to the U.S. we went met for a coffee and and I would call him from China hey the factory is saying that um they're gonna do this what do I do and he's like well you tell them this you know I'm like I would have not only having a sounding board, but even knowing how to negotiate those things, how to yeah. negotiate terms. I had never done those like little minutia details of that kind of stuff and knowing what the benchmarks are. So then you have like a place to start. It's I think information and knowledge is key because otherwise you just end up agreeing to whatever and which is fine too. But generally that terms tends to be a financial loss. And then then you only get so far, right? And yeah. or you just take another job and or whatever it may be. So Okay. And then um 
the last question is, what's your plan now? So you have all this product coming yeah. in. Yeah, and you're doing direct-to-consumer. You have a website. Yes, the website's so, being built right now. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, I took on a partner, um, uh, like a business ops person a few weeks ago who's okay. amazing. Awesome. I love him. He's has worked in the industry for a long time, both on the um, with his own store in Australia, but then like on the finance and like back-end side as well. So we've kind of started splitting up some responsibilities responsibilities and um the next steps are build out web uh build out social um i think those two things are i've kind of seen the stuff that i don't know how to do until last which is probably not the smartest move but um and then i'm bringing on an assistant to start putting together my stock list and um, start calling for appointments to do in-season wholesale orders. And okay, so you're going to do some wholesale. I'm going to do some wholesale. I just need to get the word out there because yeah. no one knows that it even exists, but I know my customers there. So yeah. the places that sell active... And the cool part about my line is that um, each piece is amphibious. So you can wear it in the water or to work out in. Oh, cool. And um, so you have a lot of options with swim stores or active stores or yeah. gyms or, you know, there's a lot of different um, categories. And so just really putting together that list, getting the word out, putting putting together collaborations. Um, it's more just now marketing and messaging, you okay. know, and and that's not my strong suit. Um, so it's learning those processes and getting really good at it really quick. Yeah. And yeah. bringing some other people on board to help you and networking and resourcing. and. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of stuff has been done on super budgets like this. You know, there's the photo shoots and the this and the that. And all that stuff is necessary evils at the end of the day because we live in a really um visual world so you have to like let people understand what it is that you do in a beautiful way but um yeah just super scrappy you know to get as many volunteers as possible like as many free trades as possible and um and go from there awesome all right shilpa where can people find you Yes, so our website is Nayali, N-A-Y-A-L-I dot L-A. Okay. Um, our kind of theme is uh, designed in Los Angeles, California, tested during global adventures, yeah. as they have been a lot of global adventures. Yeah, there have. And um, same Insta is the same, Nayali dot L-A. Oh, sorry, I think it's at Nayali dot L-A. Okay. And um, and then we'll be in stockless and stores soon. Yes. So just check our website and you'll be able to find us. Awesome. Well, I will put links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so yes. much. Thank you, Shilpa. This was so much fun. So fun. I yes. really appreciate it. Awesome, of course. Thanks for listening to episode 10 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about any of the resources mentioned in the episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 10. And since you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. If you can take 60 seconds to leave a review on iTunes, it helps the show a lot and makes the podcast easier for people to discover. It's easy to do, and I'd really appreciate it. Visit sfdnetwork.com review to leave your rating, and thanks for your support and help.